Amen. We still believe when Jesus steps in, he brings about a change, a transformation. Amen. If you weren't changed, you weren't saved. Amen. That's turned into a controversial point of debate these days amongst Baptist preachers of all things. Josh, when you clip the message out to put on YouTube, add that song at the front of it. Can you do that for me? Hey, man, that's a good way to kick off the message right there. We're in the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter number 11. When you find your place, stand with me, please. Matthew chapter number 11. I have been meditating on these verses for days. And um, the longer I looked at it, the more I saw. I finally had to stop writing or it took me a week to preach it all. I love these verses in Matthew 11. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in verse number 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither can any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Verse number 28 is our text. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. With God's help this morning, we're going to look at these verses, but we're going to focus on that statement in verse 28. Come unto me. Come unto me. Father, we ask you this morning, if you would, to touch and bless the preaching of your word. Use it to minister to the believer as well as to anyone this morning that may not know you as their personal Savior. Give us, Lord, this morning what we stand in need of. And may you be glorified, I pray, in the message in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. Lord woke me up early this morning about 4.30. I could not go back to sleep. I try to when I wake up at 4.30. I know some people think it's the only time you can talk to God's at 4.30 in the morning. And I have to remind them he's awake 24-7. Amen. You don't have to get up at 4.30 to pray. But if you do wake up at 4.30 and you can't go back to sleep, that's a good time to pray. It's a good time to get a hold of God. Amen. So I went and made me a cup of coffee. Went and sat on the couch wrapped up in a blanket like sitting bull. And I just got along with God praying this morning. Amen. And God was really burdening my heart about these verses and the thought that there may be somebody here today that does not know the Lord as our personal Savior. And I want, if I can, just with God's help, just give you what God has shown me from these verses. Uh, very familiar verses, but this morning, I want to give you three simple points. If you want to write these down, you can. First thing I want to notice is the inclination of the sinner, the inclination of the sinner. And that is very simply, there's one thing that you can count on when it comes to the sinner more often than not, and that is to try anything and anybody before they try Jesus. I mean, I have thought about this for days, and I could just stand up here and give you story after story from the Bible, illustration after illustration, but it seems to me that man's first inclination as a sinner is not to run toward God, but to run away from God. And we see that in Genesis chapter number three, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The Bible says the Lord God called unto Adam in Genesis 3, 9, and said, where art thou? 
And he said, I heard thy voice, the voice of God, the voice of his creator, the voice of his maker, the voice of the one that had shaped and formed him from the dust of the ground, the one that had breathed into his very nostrils the breath of life, the one that had given him all of the garden and all the food and all the blessings, the one that had given him this beautiful wife. This one is the voice he heard. I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The inclination of the sinner is to hide, to run, to duck and to dodge and try to get away from the only one that can help them with their problem. Also seems to me that the inclination of the sinner is to always look for a second opinion after God has spoken what would be the truth in the first place. I went to the doctor the other day and the doctor said, you're, you're, uh, you're overweight. He said, you're fat. I said, I want a second opinion. He said, you're ugly too. Amen. That's not what I was talking about. A lot of people want a second opinion when God utters a judgment in their life or says to them, this is what the problem is. This is what you need to do. They want a second opinion. We got people today that are really big into these alternative treatments. <laughs> we got a lot of sinners today that are looking for an alternative treatment. Exactly right. God gave very clear parameters and very specific guidelines for how worship was supposed to be done. And all the way back in the very first family, you've got these two brothers, Cain and Abel. And leave it up to Cain to decide to do an alternative treatment. Leave it up to Cain that says, I'm not going to go out here and just get an innocent, spotless lamb and put it on the offering, put it on the altar and offer it up the way God said. I've got a better idea. It's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot more physical, a lot more exhausting, a lot more demanding. It's going to involve a whole lot more blood, sweat, and tears. But I think I'm going to go out here and cut up the fruit and the, and the, and the, and the, and the vegetables and the, and the work of my labor. I'm going to offer that to God instead of what God said. And God said, that's not going to work. Man's first inclination, the inclination of the sinner is to try anything and anybody but God. In Mark chapter number five, I I was looking at this story and I I almost got up a completely different message. But in Mark chapter number five, I'm going to show you something. Turn over there right quick. It's closed. Next book over. Look at what it says in Mark chapter number five. We find a story here about a woman. The Bible says in verse 25, Mark 5, 25, woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. Look at what it says in verse 26. I'm in Mark 5. The Bible says she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. I don't want to throw off on the medical community too much this morning. But I'm amazed at people that still got more faith in their doctor than they do in God Almighty. They call it practicing medicine for a reason, amen? This woman for 12 years had gone to every doctor she could find. 
She had gone to every doctor she could look up. She had found all these doctors and Bible says many. She had suffered many things of many physicians. She went to one. She went to another. She went to another. She went to another. She went to another. She networked with all of her friends and family. She went to as many physicians as she could afford to go to, the Bible says. And she went to many physicians. And the Bible says she had spent all that she had. As we'd say in South Georgia, she's flat broke. She's broke, and the Bible says that that's add, add insult to injury. Not only was she not better, but she was worse off at the end of this than she was at the beginning. By the way, that's how the devil works. The devil will promise you an alternative treatment. The devil will promise you a second opinion. The devil will tell you, oh, you're not as bad as the Bible says. You're not as bad as God says. That's not as serious as all that. And then he will throw you into a mud hole deeper than the one you was in to start with. Many physicians, she spent all that she had and she was not bettered, but she was worse. By the way, that's what the devil will do to you if you listen to him is he will just make you worse and worse and worse, and worse. You'll be in worse shape when he gets done with you than you were at the beginning. But notice the difference in this woman in Mark 5 and a lot of people today. The Bible says in verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, she went to another doctor. Is that what it says? When she heard of Jesus, and when we say when she had heard of Jesus, you've got to understand back then that was before television. That was before social media. That was before Facebook. That was before text messages. That was before phone calls. So we have to assume that when she heard of Jesus, she's hearing stories and testimonies of people that had encountered Jesus and the changes and their transformations that he had made in their life, whether it was firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand. But you know the old grapevine, that story began to blow through the city and this woman hears that there's a man named Jesus that knows how to help people that's got physical problems. And what does she do when she heard of Jesus? What did she do? The Bible says when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. You got to give this woman some credit. She came to Jesus the first time she had an opportunity. This story is in another, in another gospel, by the way, and it tells you the same thing there. She didn't hear about Jesus. She didn't hear a testimony about what Jesus could do. She didn't meet somebody that Jesus had healed and touched, somebody he had changed and transformed, and then decided to go find some more doctors and get on her white pages or yellow pages or get on her Google or ask Siri if she could find another physician. No, when she found out that Jesus was in town and what he could do, she made a beeline to him, and she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. We got people today that still run even after they know what he can do. This building this morning is full of people that Jesus has touched. This room is full of people that God has changed. This room is full of people that God has transformed. I'm talking about taking people out of the mire and putting them in the choir. I'm talking about drunks and dope heads. And I'm talking about people that was neck deep in fornication and adultery and addicted to everything under the sun. And they met Jesus and he changed their life and he transformed them. You're sitting amongst them this morning. I hate to think anybody would walk out of here and look for an alternative remedy. Huh? 
inclination of the sinner is to just skip God, circumvent Jesus Christ, look for another way. We got people today that hear of Jesus and they walk away. We hear today, we got people today that hear the gospel and they think they don't need it. They hear the truth and they want to argue and debate and rationalize rather than just believe God. Caleb Garraway's called me nearly every day, texts me or call me one or the other for the last two or three weeks. We're both in a state of disbelief. Honestly, we're just blown away that you could gather five, six, seven, eight hundred people in a back alley in a cul-de-sac on a dirt street somewhere in India, throw up a screen and show a gospel presentation and a hundred, two hundred, two hundred fifty people get saved. And every one of them saying the same thing, I did not know there was a God. I didn't know there was a God that would forgive me of everything I've ever done. I didn't know there was a God that could free me from my addictions. I didn't know there was a God uh, that could deliver me out of the mess that I'm in. I did not know there was one that existed. They got millions of gods in India. I've been there. I've been to India. It's a filthy, nasty, satanically oppressed nation. And I've been all over the world. I've been in Africa five and a half years. And India is the nastiest place I've ever been to in my life. I mean, it's filthy. But I'm not just talking about the filth and the garbage lying in the streets. I'm talking about it's not in the ditch. It's like a reverse ditch. It's like a landfill lining the streets. Trash. Years of it. It's unbelievable. Everywhere you go, it's just filthy and nasty and dirty and grimy. But you look at the people that have been deceived and lied to by the devil about false doctrines and false religions and all these small G gods and they got the figurines of them in the gift shops and they're plum spooky. I wouldn't want to come to a God look like that. All these arms and all these, all these legs and all these satanic looking faces and demonic looking faces. I mean, just, I mean, there's millions of them in India. They grew up around that, trying to appease all these gods. And then they hear that there's one that loves them. And they're like, there ain't no sense in me looking anywhere else. And no sense in going down the store and go down, to, go down to find a priest or go down to find some kind of Hindu temple somewhere and keep shopping. I just found what I've been looking for right here. The inclination of the sinner is to keep looking. People come to church and they hear that they're lost and they need to be saved. And they walk out the door. I'm like, what are you, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Jesus said in John 5, verse 40, you will not come to me that you might have life. I don't know what the Calvinists do with that verse, but that's what Jesus said. You will not come to me that you might have life. I'm offering it. It's here. But you won't come get it. We see the inclination of the sinner. Number two, we see the isolation of the sin. Sin separates. Sin alienates. Are you listening to me this morning? That, that prodigal son, that prodigal son thought he was alienated and isolated at the father's house. And I'm sure he said what a lot of young people say, I want to go be with all my friends. And he had some friends. 
as long as he had money. But you keep reading that story about that prodigal son and you find him all alone in a hog pen slopping hogs. And there was nobody there. There were no friends. There was no support group. Brother Ron Ricardo preached chapel Thursday morning, did a fantastic job. And my favorite part of his whole message was the statement when he made, he said, God, our heavenly father is omnipresent. Said God is always present. He says, but the devil is an absentee father. He will leave you high and dry. When you need him, he won't be there. My favorite part of the whole message. Gave that story about those prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel, jumping up and down on the altar, begging their God Baal for fire, cutting themselves with lancets and, and, and screaming and jumping up and down. They did it for half a day. No answer. Completely abandoned by their God. Man of God said, my turn. He rebuilt the altar and straightened up the wood and put the sacrifices on it. And he said, you know what? This is too easy. This is too easy. I got an idea. He dug a ditch around the altar. The Bible says that would hold about, about two measures of seed. And said, I need some water in the middle of a drought. They're three years into a drought. Y'all still with me? I need some water. They coughed up 12, four barrels of water. He poured it all over the sacrifice, all over the, all over the, the wood and the, and the sacrifice, and it ran down, filled the trench. He said, that's still too easy. Give me some more water. Four more barrels of water. He poured it. Still too easy. Four more barrels of water. Twelve barrels of water that man of God poured over that sacrifice. And then he called out to his father. He called out to his God. He prayed one prayer. Sixty-three words. Oh, by the way, didn't even ask for fire. He just prayed to his father and fire fell. The Bible says it licked up the sacrifice. It licked up the wood. The Bible says it licked up the water and the dust in the trench. Don't tell me the devil won't leave you high and dry. Sin will isolate and leave you all alone. Paul said it like this in Ephesians 2, 12, that at that time you were without Christ Jesus, listen, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That was what you were before you got saved. The very first thing sin did in the Garden of Eden was put up a wall of separation between Adam and Eve and their maker. That's the first thing that happened. And Adam and Eve's sin got them exiled from the garden. And God put an angel with a flaming sword at the entrance to keep them out. We're talking about alone. We're talking about Separation. We're talking about alienation. We're talking about isolation. Cain's sin that he did made him a vagabond on the face of the earth. It's not a word we use much anymore. Good King James word, vagabond. His response in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 14 was, Behold, he's talking to God, Thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. By the way, this is who Jesus is talking to in our text in Matthew 11. He's talking to all the people that the devil has chewed up and spit out. All the people that chose 
to live in sin and have, have, have gone that route. That's, these are the people Jesus is talking to, by the way. In Isaiah 59, verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. That he will not hear. We're talking about what sin does. It isolates God created man in order to have fellowship and communion with him. But God cannot fellowship with sin. Y'all understand that, don't you? God's so holy, he couldn't even look at his own son when he was dying on the cross. And one of the seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross before he died was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken because he had the sin of the world upon him at that time. Not just upon him. The Bible says he became sin for us. He didn't just have sin on him. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God couldn't look at it. God couldn't fellowship. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 14 down through verse number 16. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? God can't fellowship with people that are living a life of sin. God can't fellowship with people that are in sin. He came to save them from their sin. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus described the state of the unbeliever with several very key descriptive words. He said in our text, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I don't think sinners realize how hard it is to be a sinner. All I hear is, boy, being a Christian's hard. Serving God's hard. That's the opposite of what Jesus said in our text. He said in verse 30, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. We see the isolation of sin. Sin is a prison. I thought about the different spectrums that we find in the Bible of unsaved people. I mean, from one extreme to the other. Brother Leader, you've got that demon-possessed man in Mark chapter number five that's running around in the graves and the tombs naked, cutting himself. And they come out from the city and they try to bind him up with, with, with chains and try to bind him up with fetters and he breaks them and he snaps them. He's completely out of control. Then I think about Cornelius. Cornelius, I think it's Acts 10. The Bible says he was devout. The Bible says he gave alms. The Bible says he prayed. The Bible says that he and his family were doing everything they were supposed to do. Both of them were lonely. Both of them were without God. And both of them were in desperate need of salvation. So it don't matter if you're in the ditch this morning wallowing your own vomit. It don't matter if you've been, if, if you had to be brought back to life by a paramedic last night with Narcan to bring you out of your OD state or if you are a Baptist church member sitting on a pew. If you're not saved, you're just as lost. God wants you to trade in the yoke of bondage for his yoke. Are y'all getting this this morning? Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
He said, I don't like this idea of yoking up. Take my yoke upon you. That sounds restrictive. If you're not saved, you're already in a yoke. Well, the Lord showed this to me this week. Another doctrine, another New Testament doctrine, Bible doctrine that's under attack is the doctrine of repentance. Boy, you want to get people fired up. You start preaching about repentance. They get worked up. They get worked up real quick. But here's what Jesus said. Take my yoke. You've already got a yoke. I need you to change that one out. Swap that one out for mine. I believe that's a picture of repentance. Amen. That's what repentance is. My friend Lee Davis, he's in heaven now. Used to call me every Monday morning, make me laugh. He was a pastor friend of mine. Very dark sense of humor. My kind of guy. I remember one Monday morning, I was sitting at my desk and he called. I looked down and said, Lee Davis. I said, hello, preacher. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Take the gun out of your mouth. Lay it on the desk. It'll be okay. I just started laughing. I said, I wasn't even thinking about that. I said, but last week I was. (laughs) You know what Lee Davis said? Lee Davis said definition of repentance in his book. You ready? When a drowning man, a drowning man, clawing at the water, clawing at the water, clawing at the water, about to go under, and somebody throws a life preserver. And they stop grabbing at what ain't working. And they grab a hold of what works. That small act right there is repentance. Amen. 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 When you let go of what ain't working and you grab a hold of what works, that's repentance. And Jesus said, you've already got a yoke, but it ain't working out for you. Why don't you lay that one aside? Why don't you take that one off? Why don't you let me break that yoke of bondage off of your neck and take my yoke upon you? That's repentance right there. Turn loose of the yoke of bondage and take his yoke. Thirdly, this morning, we see the invitation of the Savior. We're getting down to our point in verse 28. Come unto me. What a word. What a statement. What a phrase. Come unto me. This is Jesus talking. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, these letters are in red. Jesus is talking. So many powerful truths hidden. In that one statement, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Number one, three subpoints quickly, and I'll let you go. We see the compassion that is proven over and over and over again in the scriptures. We find where Jesus was moved with compassion. He's a loving Savior, unlike the devil that will just take you from one physician to the other, to the other, to the other, and take all your money and leave you worse off at the end than when you started. The Bible tells us over and over, Matthew 9, 6, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32, then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Matthew 20, 34, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes over and over and over. That was just Matthew. Over and over and over, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a loving and a compassionate Savior. And he proves it in this statement when he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He sees the sinner this morning in their state, sees them in their life that's just all messed up. 
And when other people will turn their head away, when other people will go around, walk around, go out of their way, like that Levite and that priest did, that man bleeding and dying on the side of the road there going to Jericho. Remember that story? They went out of their way. They went around. Can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. Jesus is like that good Samaritan that stopped and had compassion. And Jesus wants to change your life this morning. Listen to me. If you're sitting here and you think, you think I want God to change my life, whatever level or degree that you think you want God to change your life, he wants to change it far more than that. Amen. He's got a lot invested. God's going to great length. He's got a lot invested on you having a better life than what you've got right now. We see the compassion that is proven. And make no mistake, a sinner that is struggling and hurting moves the heart of God. When nobody else cares, Jesus cares. We see the compassion that is proven, but then in this statement we see the comfort that is promised. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Unlike your friend or your family members, Jesus does more than just pat you on the back and say, bless your heart. That's a good old South Georgia phrase right there. Bless your heart. And sometimes it feels good to have somebody pat you on the arm and say, bless your heart. But you know what? He'll go a step further. He'll actually do something about it. I will give you rest. Verse 29, you shall find rest under your souls. I just preached out of those verses a few months ago. Expounded that whole thought. But then thirdly, we see the company that is priceless. <laughs> he didn't say, come into a denomination. He didn't say, come into organized religion, because I don't have any use whatsoever for quote-unquote organized religion. He didn't say, come into the preacher, come into the pastor. He didn't say, come into a church. You know what he said? Come into me. The company, the companionship. The relationship will be between you and the Son of God. Come unto me. Boy, don't get any better than that. I'm glad God doesn't sub out. I'm glad God doesn't delegate the communion and the intimacy and the fellowship. Y'all listen to me this morning. Listen to me. Stay with me. Listen to me very carefully. I'm almost finished. The devil's fighting this message. He's fighting it. You feel it? The invitation. I wonder, I wonder, we used to, we used to joke with people. They say, well, I didn't, I didn't come to your get-together. I said, what, do you want an engraved invitation? I think we got people waiting on an engraved invitation. Can I tell you something? That right there is an engraved invitation. It's engraved in, the hand, in his nail prints. It's engraved in his side. When they put the thorns in his skull and they beat it with a rod, you have an engraved invitation from the Son of God this morning. He said, come unto me. Come unto me. Let me help you with your burden. Let me help you with your load. Let me help you this morning with your troubles. Before I give the invitation, I want Brother Adrian to get on the piano. I wrote a song a couple years ago. I want to sing it before we give an invitation. But I want to say this this morning. Listen to me very carefully. 
Jesus is the one standing up here with open arms. That's not me. If I could save you, I would. If I could save you, I would. But it's up to you. And God will not force you. God will not force you. God will not make you. You have a free will and you can accept or reject his invitation this morning. Jesus said this though. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God wants to do something in your life this morning. Two years ago, I wrote this song for our Christmas play. We ended up not using it for a Christmas play. But Isaiah said this, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. God can change your life this morning. Listen to the words of this song, and then we're going to give an altar call. Listen carefully. Far from God I had wandered all my life. I had squandered the light and the love shown to me. My world was the shell of a man bound for hell I was so blind that I could not see I had fallen to the bottom and I was faced with the solemn fear that there was no hope left for me so I turned to the cross and confessed I was lost I was met with the grace for my need and his blood washed me white as snow his blood washed me white as snow though my sins were as scarlet they became as wool for he washed me as white as snow if you're bound in sin's prison and you're of the opinion that the blood Jesus shed is not for you. I assure you today, he is willing to save. All that trust him will be 
made new. He can wash you as white as snow. He can wash you as white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as wool. He can wash you as white as the snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. He can wash you as white as the snow. With heads bowed, eyes closed. There may be somebody here this morning. Say, Pastor Shiflet, I need to come to Jesus. Very simple message. Very simple invitation. Preacher, I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I want to accept the invitation. I want to come to Jesus this morning. And I want you to pray for me right where you're sitting. Right where you're sitting, with heads bowed, eyes closed, would you just slip your hand up where I can see it? Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. Anybody, anywhere? Anybody, anywhere? Hold it up where I can see it. You can put it right back down. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Anybody else? I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, we would love to help you this morning. We got a couple getting baptized. They're making their way up to get baptized. The altar's full this morning. Folks are all over the altar praying. God's dealing with folks about a lot of different things. But listen to me. I would not walk out of this service this morning and ignore this invitation from God Almighty. Come unto me, he said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You say, preacher, you don't know my story. It don't matter. I've sinned too much. I've done too many wrong things. You don't understand. No, you don't understand. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse and wash you of all your sin. The Bible says that over and over and over again. Maybe you're here this morning and you are saved. You know you're saved. But you're not where you ought to be with